Let's pray together. Father, I pray that through your word today, you would speak clearly to us. Father, that we would understand you, hear you, respond rightly to you. Father, we would know that you're speaking to us personally, individually. Father, I know there's a truth here in this word to be understood, apprehended by everybody. But Father, there's something specific that you want each of us to hear personally. And I pray we would today. And not just with the sort of understanding that our own ears grant us about routine stuff, normal stuff. But God, give us the ability to apprehend you today, to understand you today. What you're saying to to us, to me, what you're revealing, what you're showing. And Father, most of all, I pray that our response would be right. We'd respond with faith because we see and we believe. We would respond with obedience because we trust you. Lord, we want to meet you here today. That's what we need, to meet you here. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to revisit this analogy that we've been developing a little bit over these last several weeks as we go through the book of Hebrews and sort of bring it to a particular point this morning. Okay, so here's the idea. Here's the analogy. The analogy is that life is a race. Now, I want to make this point clear just in case it hasn't been clear. I've sort of used the the picture that Scripture uses of the Christian life being a race. But I don't want to imply that everybody is not on a race. Okay, it's not like you get in the race when you decide to become a Christian. Now, the analogy of a race is really an analogy of life. You're going to start it, right, and you're going, to, you're going to finish it, and everybody's going to finish it. We don't know exactly how we're going to finish it or when we're going to finish it. And when I say how, we don't know what manner it's going to end for us. But we do have the choice of whether or not we finish well or not. We have the choice if, if we're going to finish well, and not everybody does. That's why Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 9, 24, these words. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Now, again, that's not saying in this, in this race of life, with the billions of us running it right now concurrently, there's only going to be one winner. That means using the picture of a race, you're either in this thing to win it or you're not. You're either caring how you're doing and caring how you're going to finish, and you've got a clear sense of what you're running for, or you don't. Either way, you're running. But since you're running, why not be in it to win it? How about running to win? Because here's what happens at the end of this race we call life. And we know this. Christians, you know this. At the end of this race, to be absent from this body means to be present with the Lord. Or as the Scriptures say, it's appointed to men to die once, And after this, judgment, okay, judgment. Now, so here's my big question for you this morning. When it comes to that inevitable moment of judgment, when you see God, when your understanding or your thoughts about, your imagery of God gives way to the reality of God, this is God as he is, and you're standing there face to face with him, what sort of God do you expect to encounter? What sort of God do you expect to encounter in that moment? How do you see God? So here's an analogy here. There's a picture here in today's text of God from two very different perspectives, two very different ways of understanding God, approaching God, encountering God, being received or rejected by God, two very different avenues. 
And how you and I see God, how we're approaching God, is all important right now. It's all important. And, and not only that, not only the God that you're going to meet one day, but what's the main incentive you've got to run faithfully until you meet him? All that's addressed in this text. You know, one of the big questions that people have, and I, I hear this with increasing frequency now, and I see it written in message boards and online discussions and things like that, this perceived disparity between what people will say is the God of the Old Testament versus the God of the New Testament. How many of you heard this sort of discussion? You've had this discussion. Hey, well, what about this? In the Old Testament, God was, and then you fill in the long blanks. But in the New Testament, we see God like this. You know, I've decided I think the real issue is, is not God in that equation. The real issue is, is you and me. How we see God has everything to do with us, not God. God is unchanging. God is transcendence, immortal, forever. God, it's, it's you and me, how we approach God. So some are still seeing God through a lens that looks very Old Testament. Some are seeing God through a lens that looks very New Testament. I'll explain what I mean in this, in this text. Open your Bible with me to Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 18. Again, you've got this picture of this journey of life, this, this race that you're on, that we're called to run with endurance. Run this thing to the end. And there is a conclusion to it. You're going to cross a line at some point, and when you do, you're going to meet God. Now, what sort of God you meet has everything to do with you. And listen to the description here for a moment. Verse 18. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further message is to be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You haven't come to this mountain, but, but you have come to this one. And the difference between those two mountains and what they represent could not be more pronounced. And how you understand God could not be more different than these two pictures. It has everything to do with you, not him. See, this passage says as Christians, and that's who Hebrews is addressed to primarily. It's addressed to those believers, particularly those that are caught in difficulty and, and hardship and opposition and persecution. And the challenge to them is don't quit. Don't quit. He's worth it. Listen, I know this is costly to you. Some of you have lost family because of this. You've had to turn from your long-standing culture and religious expressions of Judaism, what it meant to you to be a Hebrew. I know it's been costly to you in the culture in which you live, which is incredibly secular and opposed to the idea of Jesus, the Messiah. But he's worth it, so keep going. He says, you've not approached Sinai. Now, Sinai is not written in that text. It's clearly implicit though not explicit. What the writer of Hebrews is clearly talking about is that Old Testament mountain of God, that place out in the desert where God's presence came down, 
partially revealed himself to Moses and gave the law. And as he gave the law to the people, he laid out his exacting expectations of holiness. When we look at this picture of Sinai, this is both a real place. It's actually there. You can visit it today. If you go to the Holy Land, you can see the place. And it's representative. It means something even more. Now, I want to be a little bit scripture-heavy today so that you get the picture. So stick with me for a moment. If it helps you to track along to what I'm reading, and flip in your Bibles backwards to the Old Testament, Exodus 19. In Exodus 19, you get a picture of what the author of Hebrews is describing, and I want you to get the feeling of this. I want you to get the weight of it. I want you to feel the seriousness of it, okay? This is God. This is Exodus 19, verse 10. The Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. So he's preparing them for, for a holy encounter. Consecrate, set them apart. This will not be routine. This is not normal. This is not typical. This is not casual. This is not how you approach me. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot, whether beast or man. He shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people, and he consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day, and do not go near a woman. So chastity, cleanliness, consecration, all these things at work. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightning and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. So all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord, and look, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, go down and come up bringing Aaron with you, but do not let the people and the priests break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. You see the picture here? Out in the wilderness, a new people had been formed, people that God had delivered out of slavery, people that God was shaping to his own people a unique people, his own possession, a people that would display him, the worship of him, the faithfulness to him, the allegiance to him for all the nations of the earth. And in order to do that, he gives them a law and he reveals to them himself. And you see this picture of Mount Sinai, this great picture first of the holiness of God, the otherness of God, so holy that as God descends on this mountain, you should not even touch it, don't even approach it, not even your animals. God comes down in his holiness, he gives the law. And what does the law ultimately do? What does the law ultimately do? What's its ultimate effect? 
It condemns us for our sin. It shows us how we are not God, how we fall far short of his holiness, how we deserve his justice and condemnation. This is the picture. When you look at Sinai, if that's your picture of God, and it's the picture that God gave them in the Old Testament, this is a God that is to be feared. And when I say feared, I don't simply mean respected. I don't simply mean to be reverenced. I mean the shaking, trembling sort of fear that Moses, who knew God well, trembled here. God, who was so fearful, so weighty, that even the mountain itself trembled under his presence. This is God. What is Sinai shouting to all the people? What did God tell Moses essentially to declare to all the people? Here is my presence, and what should your response be? Stay away. Stay away. Why? Why? So we look at a God like that, and people say, that's not a God that I want to worship. That's not a God that I want to follow. That isn't the sort of God I want to believe in. A God in trembling frightfulness, overwhelming holiness, destructive judgment and condemnation, fire and thunder and lightning and fear. Stay away. Why? Because of sin. Because of the rightful judgment of God against human sin. You cannot approach me and live. In my holiness, God is declaring to them in a way that they could never possibly forget. This is not idea and concept. This is sight and sound and smell and feel. You cannot approach the holiness of God on your own and live. What's the author of Hebrews saying? If you abandon this way, if you turn from this great salvation, Hebrews chapter 2, that's being offered to you, if you reject what God is giving to you in Christ, if you refuse grace, if you refuse grace, do you know what you're turning back to? Do you know what you're choosing? Any, anybody who says no to God's offer of love and mercy in Christ, do you know what you're saying yes to? You see, God is inescapable. Our end is unavoidable. Judgment is, is certain. And how you see God is going to totally depend on what you have done with Christ and the sin that's in your life. And so he says, if you say no to this, then you are still approaching Sinai. Is that really what you want? Do you really want to try to approach God at Sinai? Do you want to approach that hill? But he says, but you're not. If you belong to Christ, you're not approaching Sinai. That, that, that's not the God your life is marching you towards. That's not what you find on the other side of faith. That's not who God is on the other side of the finish line for you. Is that how God really is? Is this the true nature of God? It is. This is holiness and justice and judgment and righteous wrath. Is God still that? He is. But if you're in Christ, you're not approaching God like that. We're approaching Zion. Zion is different. He says, you come to Zion, the city of the living God. You're coming to heavenly Jerusalem. How is it different? The Bible is full of references to Zion. Full. Multiple references. Old and New Testament alike to this place where God dwells. Again, both real and representative. You can go to what is referred to as Zion today. It's not an auspicious site, just a, a little hill on the outside of Jerusalem. 
But Zion represents more than that little hill. It represents the city that is the city of God. It represents the place where God will dwell with us forever, the new Jerusalem. It's representative of the place where Christ interceded for our sins with a great and final sacrifice was made. It represents the holiest of holy places for God received that sacrifice there, and we met with him there. Consider some of these passages. Psalm 48. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Zion is, is the joy of the earth. Sinai is the terror of the earth. What about Micah chapter 4? It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and people shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts is spoken. For all the peoples walk each in the name of its God. But we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Where? At Zion. Or as Paul describes Zion in Romans chapter 11, verse 26, it is out of Zion that our deliverer comes. This is the city of God. So at Zion, what do we see? We still see God. We still see God in his holiness. But accompanying that holiness now is the grace of God. The grace that recognizes that we need something other than ourselves to approach him. At Zion is life, and it's life eternal. It's not judgment and condemnation and death. It's grace and life. Whereas... Sinai is to be trembled at and to be feared. Zion is to be celebrated and cheered and longed for. We cheer at the sight of the coming of Christ at Zion. Mount Sinai says, stay away. You can't approach. Zion says, whosoever will may come. Whosoever will may come. Every tribe and every tongue and every nation approaching. Hebrews chapter 12 makes it clear to us that Zion is already ours if we're in Christ. And yet it's not yet ours. We already have the ability to approach him, to draw near to him. We have the ability to know God, be close to him, be in fellowship with him, take our needs to him, experience his presence in our lives, receive joy from him, power, grace, goodness, all those things. And yet, not yet. Because there's still more to come. So what do we do? Here's the picture. We seek this Zion. This is what we're going after. This is what he meant when he said Abraham was seeking a better city. It was this one, the city of Zion. And so we do it with all the desire we can muster and all the endurance that God can give. This is what we're after. So here's my question for you. How are you approaching God? How are you approaching God? I really think there's two important points I, I wanted you to hear this morning. The first one is this, you're going to meet God at some point. You are. It's, it's absolutely inevitable. The scriptures couldn't be clear. In fact, Jesus spoke more about judgment than he did about reward. I mean, you're going to see God. The God that you see will either look like the God of Sinai, the God of holiness and justice 
and judgment and wrath. And that's the God that you'll meet. And that Old Testament imagery, he said, I don't think God is like that. You'll find out that he is. He is a thundering voice. He is a judge with lightning and fire. He is the God whose holiness is untouchable, that tolerates no sin. You'll meet him like that. Or if you belong to Christ, you'll meet him like, like this. You'll meet him at Zion, the place where Jesus interceded for you, the place where Jesus bore his wrath for you, the place where Jesus took all the judgment for you, the place where the thunder and the fire subsided and grace took its place. And now he says, I welcome you. I invite you to come. You can long for this. You can be in that place where the angels celebrate, that festal gathering. You can long to be in the place where there's worship and joy, the joy of all the nations, the goodness of God, the glory of God. So I ask you this question, is is it God that's different in the Old Testament or the New Testament? Or is it us? You see, the God that you see has everything to do with Jesus. Which one of us on our own with that imagery of Exodus 19, thinks we're going to walk up that mountain and God's going to receive us. Who in Exodus 19 would dare approach and say, I'm good enough. I, I, I can do this. Who would do this? Who would dare do that after what they saw and heard, felt, and smelt? Who, who's going to walk up that mountain now and say, God, will you take me? But Zion, Zion welcomes anyone Anyone who's humble enough to receive the grace God gives. Big question, how do you approach God? When you think about God, is God God still distant to you? Is he still unknowable to you? Does he still feel unapproachable to you? Or is God personal to you? Is God present here with you? Is God an inviting God to you? you? You see the story here in Hebrews chapter 12 isn't just about eternal judgment. It's it's not just about the God that you're going to see on the other side of the race of life. That's not all that this passage is about. I mean, not that that's not incredibly significant. That's eternally significant. You know, if that's all that you hear, it's easy for you to check out right now. Because you say, well, I've I've already got that part of my life settled. Now I just need to wait for you to land this plane, and we'll be through. I get it. I get it already. On the other side of life is judgment. And how I see God depends totally on what I've done with Christ. Sorry, you can ignore my... My little guy, my not-so-little guy over there. It's the first time in church in a while, and he, he doesn't like those chairs much more than you guys do. You're just better at it. <laughs> See, you and I have learned how to, we've learned how to cover up our, our uh, ADD, you know. Let me check my phone and see how many messages I've got and what the score is. And, you know, he can't do that, so his ADD gets expressed by, i got to stand up and get out of here. So it's okay. But it's more than just about eternity, Okay. This has everything to do with how you and I worship him today. This has everything to do with how you and I see God today. Who, who, who is God to me? I mean, do, do we come into God's presence with this, this sense of, of overwhelming guilt and fear and unworthiness? That I can't really know God. God really is unapproachable to me. Uh, God really doesn't want me. God can never accept me. You know, do I still come in with this sort of Sinai mentality? Or do I come in with with joy? Do I come in as one who's been invited? One who's been received? One one who's been welcomed? 
one who belongs there, not in pride, but in gratitude, because this is what Jesus has offered to me. I mean, everything about this, this is, look, you've you got to understand the God that we worship. Because of, because of Christ, we're not approaching God simply through law. We're approaching God through, through grace right now. So if you're still trying to reach God by your performance, you're still trying to reach the God on top of Mount Sinai. If you still think your idea of, of, of you know, God will hear me, or God will bless me, or God will use me, or God will receive me, or I'll get to know God better if I'm doing better, you're still working for it, you're still earning it, your God is on Sinai. So if you're approaching God as one who's already received by him, forgiven by him, justified through Christ to him, cloaked in righteousness, not of your own, but of Christ, then you, it's Christ's perfection that allows you to approach. You, you approach differently, you see? You approach him differently. If you're, if you're going as one who is cloaked in righteousness, received by Christ, Christ's perfections, not your performance, you go at it differently. In the big picture, he's telling them, Listen, one of the reasons you're struggling with running this race well, with endurance, is you don't see God rightly. You don't see God rightly. He feels at a distance to you. And you feel like he's saying to you, don't approach me. You're not worthy of me. The only thing that, you, that I've got for you is, is judgment and condemnation. And so you carry shame and you carry guilt. He says, approach me through Christ. Approach me through the one who redeems you, who forgives you, who covers you. Now, the issue here for us is not that there are two gods. And God is not bipolar. God is holy and just and will judge us for our sins. But God is also loving and merciful and ready to give us grace. So what's the difference? The repentant. Those who turn from their sins and turn to Christ find him to be merciful. And those who don't, who rebel against him, refuse him, reject him, find him to be the God of Sinai. So when you worship, do you come with joy? Do you come with celebration? Do you, do you come with anticipation about the future? Is that what drives you? You know, I noticed this morning as you were coming into worship, I noticed, you know, you got lots of stuff, accoutrements and bags and, you know, iPads and whatever else you carry with you. But I didn't see any of you carrying any live animals or anything. We've got no, we got no sheep or lambs with you, right? Nobody? Nobody bringing any animal sacrifices today? No? So you've got a sense already that we approach God differently today. You've got a sense that the sacrifice has already been made for you today, right? So enjoy that. Celebrate that. Come, as a, come together to meet with him and enjoy him and know that you're received by him. And know that this little thing that we do when we gather on Sunday mornings is just the slightest foretaste. Something that ought to, to stir up for you as a spiritual appetizer what is ours forever and ever and ever in heaven. I mean, look back with me at the passage just again in Hebrews 12. 
You have come to Mount Sinai, the city of the living God, God who is not a concept or an idea, but who's alive and real and wants you to draw near to him. There are innumerable, innumerable angels in festal gathering there. Don't you want to join them? Those whose purpose is entirely the enjoyment of God, the glorification of God in worship. They're gathered, they're a festal gathering. To the assembly, the idea of the firstborn, all those who went before you. Don't you want to join them? Don't you long for that? And to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous, made perfect. Made perfect how? Well, the next passage tells us, the next verse, Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, the sprinkled blood. See, if it weren't for Jesus, we couldn't approach, we couldn't approach God on Mount, Zion, on Mount Zion. We couldn't. If it weren't for Jesus, we all would have to approach Sinai. We would all be that throng of people trembling in fear at the law of God revealed, at the presence of God displayed, at the judgment of God implied. That's who we would be, but not us. We're approaching, we're approaching Zion. So do you have joy and celebration with anticipation? Or when you think about God as our drudgery, dread, trepidation, which is it? And it's not just about then. It's about today. So there are two categories that we fall into today. I think of this imagery, maybe in, in Pilgrim's Progress type visuals. So here's Christian, he's walking through this journey of life and he's heading towards that city. He's heading towards that city. All of us are in that journey. We're heading towards that city. We're heading to that place. In the imagery of Hebrews 12, we're heading to a mountain where we will meet God. Which mountain are you headed towards? Whether it's because of your sin, your rebellion, your unbelief, your disregard of God, or simply because of your goodness and self-righteousness and sense of performance without Christ, either way, you're approaching Sinai. Or are you longing for that city whose foundation is Christ? That place where God is, where we get to enjoy Him forever and ever. And if it's Zion that you're approaching because you have Christ, that ought to affect everything about your life today. I get to pray and ask. I, I get to read and hear. I get to approach a father who loves me like a son or a daughter. I've got a God that I can enjoy who doesn't say, stay away. He says, come near, come near, know me, love me, enjoy me. This is who you are. You are approaching Zion. Isn't that pretty good motivation to keep going? See, I think about these different motivations in Hebrews chapter 12 to run this race and to run it well, run it with perseverance. And ultimately, the greatest motivation is what's on the other side of the finish. What's on the other side of the finish? We don't have to fear it. You heard the sort of songs we were singing, the, the song that we sang at our offering time. I've, I've told Cecilia, write this down somewhere wherever these things get written and assuming that I go before you. I want that done at my funeral. That, that song, Jesus, you're my reward. To see your face on that day, that's what I'm living for. To hear the words, well done. Man, we can long for that. And if you can long for that and believe that that's yours, you can live in that today and enjoy it. I don't know about you, but I think the Christian life ought to be a life of joy. It doesn't mean there's not difficulty and hardship. It means 
I know the one I believe in. And I know what he's promised me. I know what is mine. And it's already mine. I'll get it fully one day. But I have it already. So what about you? On the other side of this life is one of those two mountains. God is there. What happens when you meet him? I want you to pray with me this morning with your eyes closed, if you would, just all over this room for just a moment. Father, give us the ability to apprehend the big picture here, to understand the big storyline, most of all to understand how, how big is grace. Father, if there's one thing that we don't do well, one thing that I don't do well, see how good you are, how big is your grace, God. We, we don't do that enough. So, Father, in this passage today, I pray, I pray that we would, for each of us, we would see it. We would see the enormity of it. Father, speak to our hearts. I pray that we would not disregard the Old Testament imagery, the judgment, the thunder, the fire, the trembling. For that is how we should rightly see our sins if we are not forgiven, if we're not in Christ. We should see you like that, and God, far too few today see you that way. There may be somebody listening today in this room or watching us or will watch this or hear this, and they have disregarded you. They've, they've diminished you. You don't hold the weightiness that you held for them then. There's no way you could have been ignored by that group of people at the foot of that mountain, but yet so many ignore you. You no longer have any consequence to them. Oh, God. Show them mercy. Oh, God, reveal yourself to them. And God, may each of us recognize that that is who you are, perfect in holiness, utterly transcendent, completely other than we are. You are God, and there is none like you. And no one on their own, not the best of the best, not Moses himself could approach you there. Even he could not see your face and live. And yet, knowing the disparity between your holiness and our real lives, you loved us nonetheless. And you sent Jesus. God, I pray for us today. This is, this is my hope and prayer. That these two mountains would be huge to us. Towering. Towering mountains. The towering reality of holiness and law and justice. Exposing our, our sinfulness, our unrighteousness, our desperate need for you. May that be a towering mountain. So that, Father, the other mountain, Mount Zion, would be even more towering for us. So that we might see how great is your love. How amazing is your grace. How phenomenal it is that though we deserve judgment, you have given us yourself. You've given us everything good. Though our sins have pushed us away, your forgiveness has draw, drawn us near. Father, we thank you for that. So Father, it's in grace, in your grace that we respond. It's to your mercy. It's your love that's drawn us. Father, may we see ourselves in that light. We are not approaching Sinai. We are approaching Zion because of you, because of Jesus, our Savior. And that's amazing. That's awesome. We love that. We celebrate that. 
We enjoy that today. We feel that today. We want to give you praise for that today. We want to talk about that to other people. We want them to know you can see God this way. You can approach him this way. You can know him and enjoy him, and not just forever, but today. So, Father, thank you. Thank you that you've made the way for us through Christ. May we respond rightly to that today in Jesus' name. Amen.